Let us pray together. Gracious God, we confess that without your Holy Spirit, we are mostly like the disciples in the upper room, locked behind closed doors. But as your son promised, we know that you are happy and delighted to give your Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so this morning again we are asking for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our congregation so that we might be equipped and empowered to become who we really are, your children and members of your beloved family. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. This past Monday evening at the community meal, uh, I was downstairs and scanning the crowd, and all of a sudden I saw a Chinese gentleman. And uh, I quickly went over to him and uh, greatly surprised him by welcoming him in Chinese to our church. (laughs) He wasn't expecting that. And uh, very quickly, lo and behold, I discovered that Mr. Lee was from Beijing. And not only was he from Beijing, but he was from the part of the city east of Tiananmen Square where Danette and I worshipped for our years in the capital. And what a joy it was to hear his distinctive Beijing accent. You know, it's like somebody coming from Pittsburgh or Philly. You just know it right away, and you're back there with them. Now, this experience of meeting Mr. Lee downstairs reminded me once again that after my first conversion, after Christ welcomed me and I welcomed Christ into my life, My second most important conversion experience in my life happened after I learned how to speak Chinese in my 30s. And so all of you in high school and college who are learning a second language or thinking maybe should I or shouldn't I, I want to tell you, do it. Because it's a very significant thing that God does when we work and when we learn a second language. You see, during our first two years in China, Danette and I couldn't speak a word. And it felt like with our Chinese neighbors that we always had this great wall between us of misunderstanding and suspicion. You know, when you don't understand what someone's saying, it's easy to assume the worst. And so, after two years of intensive language study, I can hardly describe to you the joy of going back to China and suddenly being able to talk with anybody and everybody, peasants and workers, Communist Party officials, students, and God knows that I talked with them all. And along with this gift of language, 
God also poured into our hearts a love for the Chinese people and a desire to help them connect more deeply with God. So ever since then, I've kind of seen Pentecost in a brand new light. Because this is the day that the Holy Spirit comes and gifts the followers of Jesus with new languages. So that the gospel can now be heard, and not just heard, but understood, and not just be understood, but be contextualized in every place to the ends of the earth, in every culture. You might think about it as the Tower of Babel in reverse, because now languages are given not to divide people, but to bring them together into a new family of faith. Now, during Jesus' ministry, he gathers around himself a new family a group of followers whom he calls his true sisters and brothers. But it's only after Pentecost, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, it's only after Pentecost that this new family, this new church, really comes alive. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that before Pentecost, Jesus' new family, locked up behind closed doors often, just doesn't look or act very promising. Does that look like a movement that's just ready to go out to the ends of the earth? I don't think so. But after Pentecost, just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit comes to empower, to enliven, and to equip this new family, a family bound together not by a shared gene pool, not by biology, but by their shared desire to love and to serve God. So let's take a look at that story that Megan just read for us. And remember that day when Jesus' biological family comes for a little visit. Now, this story, by the way, can also be found in Mark chapter 3. And in that context, we find a few other very intriguing (laughs) details. In that context... Jesus is preaching in his hometown, Nazareth. Folks there are saying that he's completely out of his mind. I'm not making this up, it's there. And his family has actually come, quote, to restrain him. Picture that. And then Mark 6 tells us that Jesus' family includes four brothers who are named, and sisters, unnamed, so we assume there's at least two. So we know that Jesus' family includes six other siblings. 
And in our reading today, some of them feel that the time has come for a family intervention. With their oldest brother. And they've come to ask to speak with him. And Jesus' response is downright sharp and, truth be told, quite shocking. He says, who are my mother and brothers? And then pointing to his disciples gathered nearby, he says, here are my mother and brothers. And for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. And our story leaves completely unanswered, I don't know if you noticed this, leaves completely unanswered whether Jesus even meets that day with his biological family. Now, wait a minute. Is this the same Jesus who at other times seems so very pro-family? The one who condemns husbands for casually divorcing their wives with a slip of paper? Who speaks about the need to nurture and to protect children? And who condemns those who neglect their elderly parents? Yes, this is the same Jesus. But within this larger context, we can see that Jesus' intent here is not to reject the family, but to reorient the family toward its God-intended purpose. The family's purpose is to be the place where we are equipped for doing God's will and trained in kingdom living. A place where we all learn how to love God, love each other, love ourselves, and love all of creation. A place where we learn how to pray, how to share, and especially in families, how to forgive. But Jesus knows from his own personal biological family that sometimes the family can be our biggest roadblock to following God. John 7, 5 mentions that at least at the beginning, Jesus' own brothers do not support his ministry. They block him from being faithful to God. And we all know the way that our biological family can sometimes be the first to tell us to take the safe road instead of taking the risky kingdom road. Amen? Sometimes our family can be the first to tell us to be conformed to the world or to the empire instead of being conformed to Christ. I've heard many stories about young people who have been discouraged by their parents from going overseas to serve God. And when this happens, Jesus says that our allegiance to God's family must trump our allegiance 
to our biological family. And later, Paul uses the beautiful image of adoption to describe the amazing reality of God's new blended family of Jews and Gentiles together. And since God knows that we're sometimes going to doubt our standing in this new family, God provides all of us with a living adoption certificate, the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.16, the Holy Spirit bears witness with us that we are truly the children of God and belong in God's family. So Jesus in his ministry promises that he will never leave this new family orphaned. And the Holy Spirit is always available to us, dear friends, always available to inspire, to comfort, to equip, to trouble. Ever been troubled by the Holy Spirit? Be sure to listen. To remind us and to renew our faith. And how can we gain access, more access to the Holy Spirit? As Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen. all we have to do is ask. Ask for a new receptivity to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why I begin most of my sermons with those that request of God. Our Heavenly Parent is pleased Delighted to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. When's the last time you asked? And within the Trinity of God, now we're going very into the great mystery of mysteries, the Holy Spirit, within the Trinity of God, the Holy Spirit is the midwife who brings to birth new things. At the birth of our universe, in the beginning, the Holy Spirit hovers over the face of the waters. And in Hebrew, the word for spirit here is ruach. And ruach is a feminine word which means spirit or wind. And then the Holy Spirit also hovers over Jerusalem at the birth of the church. You see, it is her passionate desire for all people to be welcomed into the family of God. Whoever does the will of God in heavens, Jesus says today, is my brother and my sister and my mother. And what this means, dear friends, is that here at East Chestnut, 
when we call each other sister and brother, we're not just trying to sound pious or churchy. What we are doing is naming the awesome reality that since we belong to God's family, we are one another's siblings who share a common table. And maybe this is why Paul used this sibling language 65 different times in his letters. You see, in a world where many of us are born into families of deep brokenness and deep dysfunction, the church says, come and be part of our family, the family of God. In a world filled with relational and spiritual orphans, this is incredibly good news. Now, maybe when you saw our theme for these next weeks, church as first family, maybe you felt that's kind of edgy. That kind of challenges us in some profound ways, and I feel that edge in my own life as well. I thank God for my birth family. I'm so grateful for the way that my mom and dad have been models to me of loving God, being global citizens, cherishing scripture, and being devoted to prayer. I got that all from my folks. And I'm so grateful that I grew up in a family that encouraged me throughout my life, even right up to coming to East Chestnut, to love and serve God rather than the opposite. But because my folks were divorced when I was in my 20s, the church, the church has been a new family for me. where I have been able to experience marriages that are lasting and loving. I needed that. I didn't get that from my biological family. And believe it or not, my favorite activity in church is to go to people's 50th anniversary celebrations. And to look forward to that day when Danette and I have our 50th as well. So in the same way, dear friends, how has God's family been a place of healing for you? Given you what you needed most. Allowed you to learn and grow and flourish and belong in ways that were never possible in your family of origin. Because in a world filled with 
spiritual and relational orphans, Jesus brings us the good news that we can become part of a new family inspired by the Holy Spirit. Those who do the will of God in this world can become our closest relatives. So let us now stand, address each other as sister and brother, and share the peace of Christ. Amen.